Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are you? It's time for the tech news for Thursday, January 19th. 2023. And last year, it seemed like the front half of every tech news episode was dominated by Elon Musk's on again, off again, and then totally on again quest to buy Twitter. But so far in 2023, the honor really goes to chat GPT and OpenAI, which is the startup that's behind the controversial chatbot. So first up today, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, gave an interview with Strictly VC in which he addressed some rumors about the upcoming next generation of the GPT language model, aka GPT-4. We're currently on GPT-3.5. Altman warned that people are bound to be disappointed in the new language model because the hype around it has grown to a point that's just impossible to live up to. And I think Altman in general has been pretty good about acknowledging this kind of stuff. A lot of folks, including myself, 
have pointed out how chat GPT falls short in lots of ways. And I don't think Altman would disagree. He has been pretty forthcoming about this sort of stuff, and he's not making claims that chat GPT is flawless or even skilled at every kind of writing. So I guess it's unfair for folks like myself to say, I can't even write a Shakespearean sonnet, even even though it, it, it can't. I mean, maybe if I kept at it, maybe if I kept tweaking prompts, I could massage chat GPT to a point where it could produce an actual Shakespearean style sonnet. But anyway, Altman wouldn't commit to when this next model will launch. He said it will launch when it's ready, which I also think is a pretty responsible take. And he admitted that there were concerns about how chat GPT might be used by students to try and cheat on schoolwork. But he also pointed out that when calculators became a thing, we just we didn't just abandon teaching students how to do math. Instead, we took calculators kind of into account while doing so. The way we taught it started to change. That's a kind of interesting take. Now, honestly, I think chat GPT could be useful for, say, English teachers to show how a generated essay might fall short of actual real work done by a student who's taking the subject seriously. It could be useful to explain to students the difference between real critical thinking and surface level observation. And this way you wouldn't have to take an actual student's essay and then embarrass that student in front of the rest of the class and say, see, little Timmy over there totally doesn't understand the role that Falstaff plays in Henry the Fourth Part Two. Just look at this terrible work. Shame on you, little Timmy. Instead, they could say, look, here's this essay written by ChatGPT. Here are the places where the observations being made are pure surface level and they don't really say anything. This is the sort of stuff you need to avoid and think about when you make your own work. And uh, I get that I'm putting a lot on teachers there and that they're already overworked and undervalued. And uh, that should change too. Just throwing that out there. Now, one thing about OpenAI that has undeniably caused harm is the process by which the company has tried to filter out objectionable material. So in the past, even with GPT, We've seen examples of how chatbots can submit truly offensive material that includes stuff that ranges from racism and sexism and hate speech and calls for violence to description of truly horrific acts that I can't even begin to describe on this show. And obviously, any company making a chatbot wants to avoid the chatbot creating these kinds of situations, even if it's just because it's bad optics, right? If the reason is, oh, we don't want to do that because it'll hurt our investment. At least they still don't want to do it. Now, as you may know, ChatGPT generates responses to queries by referencing information from a massive database of scanned material across the internet. And there are complex rules at play that guide ChatGPT's responses, but ultimately those responses depend heavily on this repository of scanned information. Now, the problem is, and I'm sure you've realized this, the web is home to some really terrible communities, ones where truly awful material is shared and sometimes celebrated. And ChatGPT cannot magically tell the difference between what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. So it needs people to essentially tell the model what is and isn't right. 
and it has to be able to identify certain stuff as falling into categories of content that are forbidden and then filter anything like that out of its responses. Anyway, OpenAI's approach was to outsource this work of tagging offensive material, identifying it, meta-tagging it, so that ChatGPT could avoid such stuff. And they went with a company called Sama, S-A-M-A. This company had also worked with Facebook in the area of content moderation. So it would hire out people to go through Facebook posts and flag any that violated Facebook's policies. Now, the way Sama handles handles this is to employ people in Kenya to do the work at a salary that breaks down between $1.32 and $2 per hour. By the way, Sama was paid around $12.50 per hour per case. Um, And the people actually doing the physical work are getting $1.32 to $2 of that. Time Magazine indicates that a receptionist in Nairobi makes around $1.52 per hour. So these are pretty low paying jobs. And in return for this hourly rate, employees were divided into three groups to read passage after passage of just truly the worst stuff you can imagine. Each group focused on a specific kind of offensive material. There was a hate speech group, a sexual abuse group, and a violence group. And I'm sure there was plenty of overlap between these three. Employees would read and tag each passage for eight or nine hours a day. And as you can imagine, being plunged into that kind of work and being expected to meet certain deliverables, right, to tag a certain number of passages each day really took its toll. It was psychologically taxing, to say the least. And many employees reported being traumatized by the work. And a few of them argued that Sama, despite what it claimed, was not providing adequate services for counseling. And this whole story reminds us that behind the surface of these AI programs, there's actually this huge human contribution to make them work. Like, yes, it's remarkable that this program is composing these texts in response to our queries. But to make that possible, a lot of people had to spend countless hours of work, and some of them doing work that was truly traumatic. The story gets even more complicated. Uh, Sama recently ended its contracts with OpenAI ahead of schedule, probably because the company was already being taken to task for how they relied on poor people in developing countries to moderate content on Facebook, which included the content moderators being subjected to truly horrific content, including videos and pictures. And we're talking about violence and sexual abuse and, and, and child endangerment and worse. And in other words, I I don't think Sama made this choice out of concern for its workers. The workers found themselves also either out of a job entirely or shifted to other lower paying work. So they've actually come out poorer for this as well. And some of them were saying like, yeah, The work is terrible. It takes a toll, but I need to provide for my family, and now I'm not able to. So it's a very grim story. If you would like to read about it further, I recommend the article in time. It is is titled, rather, uh, OpenAI Used Kenyan Workers on Less Than $2 Per Hour to Make ChatGPT Less Toxic. And for our third story about ChatGPT, let's talk about how some cybersecurity researchers were able to get the chatbot to create a new strand of malware. 
and not just any malware, but polymorphic malware, meaning it can take many forms. You can have a core structure that can then be tweaked so that you get different generations of malware based on the same core, but they can be different enough that an antivirus program would have trouble detecting new variants, thus extending the useful life of the malware. Like you can keep using this core malware over and over by making these small changes, relatively small changes, and keep sending out waves of the stuff. So this is bad news for the security side of things, obviously, but it's also important research because if the good guys don't know about it, then the bad guys can make greater use of it. The researcher said that the web-based version of ChatGPT is a little more challenging to use because it's meant to filter out anything that would result in the creation of malicious tools. You're not supposed to use ChatGPT to do it, and it tries to prevent you from doing it. However, the team said that if they just kept restating their requests and if they made them more authoritative, they could eventually work around this barrier and convince ChatGPT to do their bidding, which is kind of concerning. This idea that persistence and a change in tone will allow a user to sidestep safety parameters, that's not great. But what's arguably worse is the team found the API, the Application Programming Interface version of ChatGPT. This is the version that's meant to let you incorporate ChatGPT functionality into other applications. That version appeared to have no such restrictions at play in the first place. So in other words, it was essentially raring to go when the time came to make malware. The security firm CyberArk says that it will continue to do research on this new development and that it plans to release some of the source code of the malware that was created to the cybersecurity community for the purposes of education. And yay, the bots are learning how to create cyber attacks now. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have some more news. Working remotely. Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back. Now, last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I talked about how crypto is currently in a bit of a recovery phase, uh, possibly because the crypto community thinks that the macroeconomic situation is improving. But there's no telling if that recovery phase is going to be sustainable just yet. And it appears that the big tech companies are still very much in belt tightening mode, which suggests that At least these companies expect things to be tough for a while yet. This week, we heard Microsoft is laying off around 10,000 employees between now and the end of March. A company spokesperson indicated that marketing and sales will feel the impact more than engineering, and that gamers will also be sad to learn that Xbox and Bethesda divisions are among those that will be affected. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, said that consumers are starting to get more frugal with their digital spending and that while the early stages of the pandemic saw an increase in digital spending, we're now seeing kind of a reversal of that trend as people start to ask, do I really need this digital subscription and start to make choices in a way to kind of scale down their own expenditures? And on a related note, Amazon continues to cut costs, this time by planning to sunset a charitable donation program that has been in place since 2013. It's called Amazon Smile, and it would let customers designate a charity, one that Amazon had verified, and that charity would then receive a percentage of every eligible purchase that the customer made on the platform. So instead of going to www.amazon, You would go to smile.amazon and otherwise everything else would be the same as your typical Amazon experience. I actually made use of this program myself. I selected a local theater as in a stage theater here in Atlanta to be the recipient because it's a nonprofit organization. Uh, Anyway, now Amazon is saying that this program was not as effective as the company had hoped. And that was because these donations were you know, fractions, like a percentage of each eligible purchase. And it was spread across thousands of charities. So no single charity received very much money. Uh, The company said that the average amount donated to a charity amounted to around $230. Uh, I just checked mine and over the years that I've been using this, and I have been using it for several years now, my purchases have amounted to about $1,750 in donations to this theater. But that's stretched across years, right? So it's not like this theater got a check for almost two grand and was like, wow, what a huge donation. No, it's like, you know, a month they might get a check for, you know, a couple of bucks. So Amazon kind of has a point here in the sense that this was probably not the most effective charitable platform. It says that it will still support various causes, but it will make more focused decisions on things that, quote unquote, make meaningful change. The Data Privacy Commissioner, or DPC in Ireland, took aim against Meta again, this time fining WhatsApp 
5.5 million euro, which is just a smidge under 6 million US dollars. And it was for a breach in the EU's strict privacy laws. Uh, at issue is how WhatsApp has been leveraging the personal information of users in the EU while trying to improve the company's services. So this isn't about targeted advertising for once. It's about using this personal information in a way to beef up the service's own features and capabilities. Apparently, WhatsApp methods just didn't go far enough to protect the personal information of EU citizens, though the Reuters report I read didn't go into really any detail about the nature of the violations themselves. Meta has been the target of the DPC several times now and has had to pay fines on multiple occasions for how it has continued to handle, or depending on your point of view, mishandle data pertaining to EU citizens. Uh, I don't know at what point things would change because the, the fines, while they're substantial, in the big picture of Meta's you know, financial situation, rarely amount to anything that would raise an eyebrow on, on a massive corporate spreadsheet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's yet another example of Meta doing what Meta does best, which is handle the personal information of its users in a way that's ultimately irresponsible. Meanwhile, Global Witness, a human rights watchdog agency that we've talked about several times on this show, revealed that Meta's Facebook allowed ads calling for violence in Brazil following an already violent series of protests in that country. All right, so first, let's get some background. So in elections late last year, the leftist politician Luiz Inacio Lula da Silva defeated his right-wing opponent and former president Bolsonaro in a runoff. But Bolsonaro took a page from the far, far-right playbook and refused to concede the election. Da Silva took office at the beginning of this year, and then some of Bolsonaro's supporters stormed government buildings in these violent riots in an attempt to have this election overturned. The violence lasted several hours, and this prompted Meta to declare Brazil a high-risk region, at least temporarily. Now, that's supposed to mean that Meta's properties, including Facebook, take a much more restrictive approach with regard to content moderation and ad approval in an effort to mitigate things like hate speech and calls for violence. But Global Witness found that just days after the riots, Facebook accepted 14 out of 16 fake ads that Global Witness created. And these ads called for violence against Da Silva and his supporters. That is definitely not a good look. Facebook should not have accepted those ads, but it was totally prepared to run 14 out of 16 of them. Global Witness reps say that this shows how Meta fails to live up to its obligations in these kinds of cases. And it's something we've seen play out around the world, particularly in non-English speaking countries. There's long been this accusation against Meta that the company pays very little attention to content moderation outside of major English speaking markets like the United States and the EU. And yet by doing this, by ignoring these other regions, the company is facilitating serious harm to come to populations uh, by not cracking down on things like hate speech and calls for violence. 
Global Witness says that YouTube performed substantially better than Meta did and denied ads that had similar language and messaging in them. And just to set minds at ease, uh, Global Witness did cancel these ads before they could actually go live. So no users encountered these ads that violated Facebook's policies and called for violence because uh, Global Witness pulled them before they could they could go live on the site. Okay, I've got a couple more stories to get to, but before I get to those, let's take another quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back. So I've got a story about video games. Uh, It's not necessarily a positive one. So one of the ongoing issues in the world of video games involves what comes along with leaning on the games as a service business model. That is releasing a game that has elements in it that allow a company to continue to generate revenue from players over time. So in the old, old days, the way you made money if you were in the video game business is you sold as many copies of a video game as you possibly could. But once you sold a copy of a video game, that was kind of it. That was the end of the transaction. Then once you started getting into games that had a subscription model like MMORPGs, there became this new way to make money. First, you'd sell the game. Then you would continue to make money from the game by collecting subscription fees. 
And this started to open up possibilities where, you know, you look at this and you think, all right, we can continue to make profit from these games. We do have to also put effort in to continue to support the game. So there is an ongoing cost as well. It's not like, you know, we work one day and then we just make passive income for the rest of our lives. That's, that's a myth, but it did open up these opportunities. And that's when we started to see other ways to make money on uh, ongoing titles. And that involved some stuff like being able to pay for upgrades, cosmetic upgrades for your character so that they could look a specific way and have a specific style. And most gamers, I don't think, object to this. Like the idea of, yeah, you know, if you want, you can pay a dollar and you get this new skin for your character and it looks really cool. And I think most gamers are like, yeah, I can, you know, I don't care about that, so I'm not going to spend the money or yeah, it's a dollar. I'll spend a dollar and help support this game. And plus get this cool skin. Most people don't have objections to that, but then you have the darker side of this where, you know, they offer up items or outfits or just, you know, elements that give players an advantage in return for some cold, hard cash that you buy something that boosts your character performance, either temporarily or permanently And a lot of players refer to this as the pay to win style, right? Where you, you can get an advantage on better players just by spending money. And it, it has a really bad rep in the video game world. Generally speaking, it's, it's heavily frowned upon because people who put in the time and who genuinely love the game will find themselves frustrated with folks who just have more discretionary income and who are spending more on the title in order to get the advantage. And that's very frustrating because we deal with that enough in real life, y'all. But anyway, along with these monetization strategies come concerns that the games, you know, gamify stuff so that players are kind of lured into spending money that otherwise they wouldn't. Or there might be elements of gambling at play, such as the purchase of a loot box. So... A loot box doesn't guarantee you a specific item within the game. It it gives you a chance of getting different items. And the more common items tend to have a larger chance and the more rare items tend to have a smaller chance. So it becomes kind of like a gamble. And a lot of countries have looked into this and even gone so far as to call it gambling and outlawed loot boxes. Well, now the EU is kind of looking in on this, too as well as other elements of, of games as a service that could have a negative impact on gamers' mental health. So this doesn't mean that the EU is going to vote against game, loot boxes or, or make those you know, illegal or regulate them in any way. We haven't gotten to that step yet, but they have adopted this report that is looking into these kinds of things, which could be the first step toward such an outcome. So I imagine there are some video game companies out there that are watching this with some anticipation because uh, if the EU does come to the conclusion that stuff like loot boxes amount to gambling and that this has to be regulated and that maybe that also creates restrictions on who can buy the games, that's going to have a massive impact to the industry. Um, Yeah, so it's, it's, again, an ongoing issue that is still kind of shaking out in different places around the world, maybe 
in five or 10 years, we're going to see dramatically different strategies for monetization to avoid these kinds of, uh, I guess what Obi-Wan Kenobi would call imperial entanglements, although he meant it in a bad way. Whereas I think like maybe we do need to rein this in a bit because I think it does get a bit predatory. And finally, a group of academic researchers have proposed that social networks should employ a new approach to their recommendation algorithms. These are the sets of rules that determine what content to promote to each user at any given time. Now, it's hardly controversial to say that as of right now, recommendation algorithms tend to promote harmful material, or at least material that is more likely to create larger divisions between different populations of people, such as people who have different political leanings. The purpose of the algorithm is not to sow discord. It's not to watch the world burn. It's not to create chaos. The purpose for the algorithm is simply to keep users engaged and more importantly, to keep them on the respective platform for as long as possible. Keep them stuck to your product because that's how you make money. You want them to stay on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or whatever for as long as you possibly can. It's unfortunate that the stuff that tends to sow discord is particularly good at keeping people glued to these platforms. So I guess what you could say is that the algorithms themselves are not immoral. They are amoral. They, there is no moral judgment given to the kinds of content promoted. The algorithm is just looking for a result. It doesn't care how it gets it. The ends justify the means. Well, the researchers suggest that perhaps by purposefully designing algorithms that promote content to build bridges between people rather than foment animosity could still keep engagement levels high while simultaneously mending fences between different populations. That if the content that's promoted supported stuff like actual discussion and civil debate rather than accusations and dehumanizing portrayals of the other side, we might see less divisiveness outside of the online world as well, because a lot of the outside world is taking its cues from what's happening on the online world. And the argument is that if we could make some conscious steps to improve things, we could see the benefits well beyond the native platforms. This is a nice thought. I would love to see it happen. The cynic in me worries that it wouldn't work. But the optimist part of me would love to see some real effort made into something like this. Because the worst scenario is we could try it and it doesn't work, right? Like that's the worst thing that could come out of it. Whereas the best thing that could come out of it is that we could actually see online communities become less polarizing. And that perhaps this could also extend to other areas of our lives. And that maybe this would mean we would start to recognize where we are in agreement as opposed to only pointing out where we have massive differences and then just escalating that to the point where people start to be harmed in the process. So I'm skimming on some of the details here, but you can read the whole paper. The whole white paper is available online. In fact, it has its own, you know, kind of a vanity URL and it's bridging dot systems. 
And that's it for the news today, Thursday, January 19th, 2023. I hope you are all well. If you have any suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. Let me know what those are. You can do that in a couple of ways. You can go to Twitter and send me a tweet. Uh, the handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. Or if you prefer to leave me a voice message, you can download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download. It's free to use. And you just go over to the little search feature there. You type in Tech Stuff. That'll take you to the Tech Stuff page in the app. And there you're going to see a little microphone icon. If you click on that, then you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length and let me know what you would like to hear in future episodes. And I will talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 